There are only two kinds of people in the world. The first group is people that we love. These are people who make life worthwhile. If you're lucky, maybe it's your family, or maybe you found your people later in life, but these are people that we admire, people that we learn from, people that we enjoy, people that we want to be around. Now they might be smart and beautiful and funny, but they're also humble and generous and loving, and wouldn't it be great if we could just spend all of our time around people like this? But you can't, because there's a second category of people. People who drive us nuts. People who have annoying habits. People who talk too much or talk too little or who, too, who are too sloppy or too neat or too pushy or too passive or who watch stupid shows or only documentaries who are grumpy or clingy or moody or people who grow beards in the summer. And the problem is that there aren't just these two kinds of people. The problem is that sometimes they overlap. Some people who are in the first circle will also almost always eventually end up in the second circle. I love you, but you're driving me nuts. And in fact, over the last few months, we've experienced the potential for the people that we love to also be the people that drive us nuts with greater intensity than ever before. We are together a lot. And we're all participants in this global experiment on forced closeness, and this means a lot more intimacy. Culture watchers are already predicting that in nine months, we'll see a flock of what they're calling Corona babies. And by the year 2033, there'll be a whole generation called quarantines, T-E-E-N-S. And that is such a brutal dad joke that you can imagine those little fetuses rolling their eyes right now. Not only are babies on the rise, in a lot of relationships, tension and pressure are on the rise too. Parents are stressed out. There's a huge surge of divorce applications in many parts of the world once the virus first hit. One divorce attorney said in the news, it's like this, they're putting all of their issues in a frying pan and turning up the heat. The more time that they spend together, the more that they hate each other. At the beginning of the virus, divorce became the number one most searched term on Google. One couple didn't want to fight in front of their kids, so they would send hostile emails to each other sitting just a few feet apart. This forced closeness has meant that it is a lot harder for us to hide the wrong that we are doing. A man from a small town in Argentina bragged to his friends that he cheated on his wife with a woman who'd just returned from Europe. And they reported him. Not to his wife, but to the mayor. And the whole town got put on lockdown because of him. He was the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in his province. Be sure... During the virus, your sins will find you out. And then there's something called the Corona Coaster, the emotionally draining highs and lows of shelter in place. Here in the Bay Area, we opened back up a little bit, and now we're closing back down again. Some moments I think that my children are magical, and in other moments I wish I knew magic so that I could make them disappear. But only for a minute. There is this unique kind of emotional exhaustion to all of this contributing to attention. And the truth is this, given enough time and enough closeness, here is what you discover. Everyone in the first circle is also in the second circle. There are some people that drive me nuts who I don't love, but there's nobody, no matter how much I love them, who won't drive me nuts given enough time and enough forced closeness. So we decided it was time to do a series on community. Now, community is a real important word for everybody, but it's particularly important for Christians because we believe that community is actually the purpose and the destiny of the whole universe. As one writer put it, 
God's aim in human history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as the ultimate sustainer and most, most glorious inhabitant. While we're living in forced closeness, it's actually like being in a global lab experiment in human relationships. We don't have anywhere to run or anywhere to hide or anywhere to escape. Now this won't last forever, so we didn't want to waste this extraordinary moment. I'll make the case later that God wants to use this time to grow you and I into more loving people. Of course, conflict in relationships is not a new problem. We're just very aware of it in a season from being together so much. But human beings have had a hard time getting along since Cain killed Abel, and that naturally raises the question, why do people drive us nuts? And the answer is that people drive us nuts because people are the worst. Of course, that's the wrong answer. And the right answer of the Christian faith is the exact opposite. People drive us nuts because I am a sinner. Not because there's something wrong with them. Of course, there is something wrong with them. But part of the problem is that I am much more likely to see what's wrong with you than I am to acknowledge what is wrong with me. And there's a massive body of research like self-serving bias and fundamental attribution error and selective memory that confirm all of this. Jesus' brother James analyzed it like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. James is diagnosing the virus that attacks communities. The words translated fights and quarrels are actually really serious words. They can either be, mean hostility in an emotional way or outright physical violence. And remember, he's writing to a church. He actually says, you kill, again, to a church. There's no indication that he's being metaphorical here. These people are having actual conflict. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, knew that his brother was a victim of religious violence. And the Apostle Paul, very famous person in the Bible, was at the beginning of his story part of killing a man named Stephen in the book of Acts. And what's more, Jesus is very clear that if you manage to avoid murdering someone, it doesn't mean that you're off the hook. The dynamic that leads to murder is the same dynamic that leads to coldness and withdrawal and sarcasm and contempt and divorce and abuse and neglect and cruelty of all other kinds. This dynamic is deep and mysterious, but it's not complicated. It's about desires. I have desires. I want something. Desires are always attached to a particular object. I want this food. I want this job. I want this kind of recognition. I want this amount of money. As a parent of two small kids, I want six minutes to myself. And desires are inherently conflictual. That's why James says they battle. It's another violent word. They are at war within you. One of the characteristics of desire is that they don't pay attention to each other. Desire doesn't step back and ask what is good or what is best. Desires simply say, I want. So my desires are always going to be in conflict with your desires. I just turned 38 this year, so naturally I hurt my back. And then last week, my, la my wife took the last of the Advil. She felt it was fair game because it was in our shared home office. And I thought it was clearly mine because I'd been whining so much about my back. And that's how desire works. Conflicting wants create warfare. And in this season of forced closeness during shelter in place, your desires and my desires are bumping up against each other all the time. And we have wars. Advil wars and home office wars and budget wars and clean the bathroom wars. 
Children are no different. They are dominated by desire. You might have seen this. In Wells County, Utah, the district attorney, uh, attorney Christopher Alred, said in a, that a state trooper saw an SUV swerving all over the road, so he pulled him over. Often that's a drunk driver. But in this case, it was a five-year-old boy behind the wheel. He was sober, but he was five. And his parents had no idea. He was getting bored during shelter in place, so he got into the family SUV and decided to drive to California to buy a Lamborghini. He didn't ask, is this wise? He didn't ask, is this good? He didn't ask, can I drive a car? He just said, I want a Lamborghini. And he got in the car and made it three miles before they stopped him. Allred said that he won't face any charges, but he closed his presser by saying, maybe Oprah will buy this kid a Lamborghini. Now, Oprah, if you're listening, I say do it. So one big reason why people are driving you nuts is simple. You are a sinner. Lots of people think that sin is a word that means that God is narrow-minded or judgmental, but that's not what it means. Sin is basically just mistreating God's creatures, and in particular, mistreating human beings that are made in God's image. You can't mistreat God's creatures and be okay with God. God is real clear about this. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. My basic task in life is to grow in my capacity to love, to will and to work for the good of others. In fact, that brings us to a second and more encouraging reason why people may be driving you nuts. The first is that I'm a sinner and so are they. But the second is that God is at work in you to help grow your capacity to love. And one of the ways he does that is to bring people into your life who irritate you so that you could learn to love under challenging conditions. First grade in the school of love is loving people that you find lovable. Second grade in the school of love is loving people that you find unlovable. And third grade in the school of love is to stop telling people which category they're in. Jesus put it like this. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you love is the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. So if you're sheltering in place with someone that irritates you once in a while, congratulations. God is growing you right now. And if you hear nothing else from this talk, in moments of stress in this season, ask God to grow you. Say, Jesus, this moment is so hard for me. Please work in my heart. Make it a bit more like yours. And if you have an irritating person in your life, well, you're on your way. Now, if you don't have an irritating person in your life, you can contact the church. We keep a list of irritating people. We will connect you with one. You'll be scheduled on a Zoom call later this evening. Now, sometimes people get a romanticized view of Christian community, that it's just likable people getting together, liking one another, that nice people go to church. But that's not at all the case. Henry Nouwen wrote, Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. 
In Jesus' community of 12, all 12 of them irritated Jesus. He spent a big chunk of his time lecturing them. They all argued and postured, and in the end, they all abandoned or doubted or denied him. In fact, one of the 12 betrayed Jesus, and yet Jesus made space for him too. That person is always in community, always. For some, maybe for some that I love, or maybe for a lot of people, that person can be me. So I want to give you two practices for living in community this week as we launch this series. Now only two, but I think you will be well served to practice them daily. The first is this. It's forgiveness. We all must learn forgiveness. And the first part of forgiveness is learning to extend it to others. The Apostle Paul wrote, Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're living in a season of a lot of uncertainty and fear. What will happen to the economy? What will happen to my job or to my business? Is this restriction really necessary? Is this practice really safe? And there's anger all over the place. Anger about the government. Anger from the left and the right towards each other. We traffic in it. We indulge in it. We cultivate outrage. It's on our screens. It's in our homes. And then we're shocked when it boils over into our dining rooms. What causes these fights and quarrels, James asks. A woman lets her dog off a leash in a park section that is leash mandated. A man asks her to put the dog back on a leash. That's the situation. But then she tells him, I'm going to call the police and tell them that there is an African-American man threatening my life. Put, all the si- put everything else aside. Why did she say she was going to tell the police? Not there's a man threatening my life, but that there's an African-American man threatening my life. Think about that one for a while. And then a video of this goes viral. And we're all shocked, or at least we act shocked, as if somehow that kind of anger or that kind of racism or that kind of mean-spiritedness is something that, of course, I could never be capable of. Now, remarkably, that man later tweeted that he wasn't going to cooperate with any investigations against this woman. He said that she had been through enough from the Internet's reaction. He's an example of forgiveness to all of us. But imagine this. What if she just said, I'm so sorry. I should have put my dog on the leash. I'll do it right now. Authentic Christian community is not marked by abnormally low levels of wrongdoing. Authentic Christian community is marked by abnormally high levels of forgiveness seeking. The second part of learning about forgiveness is asking for forgiveness, seeking it out. The great thing about asking for forgiveness is that not only does it help to repair relationships, it helps make me into the person I want to be a little bit more. It helps the me I want to be be a little bit clearer in my mind, and it helps me be a little bit less likely to make the same mistake next time. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Again, Henry Nouwen wrote, It's so important that we keep forgiving one another, not once in a while, but in every moment of life. Before you've had your breakfast, you will have had at least three more opportunities to forgive someone. And then that makes me think, they'll have three chances to forgive me too. So I must learn to seek forgiveness. Just these two words, I'm sorry. You may not have said those words for a long time. So just for practice, say them out loud right now. Let's say them together. I'm sorry. If there's someone else with you in the room, you can practice saying it to them, or maybe you're listening on your earbuds and you've startled that person. Well, apologize for that too. But what, you might be asking yourself, but what if the other person is unreasonable or won't forgive you or misconstrues what you say? 
All those things might be probable, but they aren't your issue. That's their issue. I don't have to control how other people think about me. Somebody put it like this. The version of me that you created in your mind is not my responsibility. I have enough work on my hands just being responsible for how I think and behave. Practicing forgiveness doesn't mean pretending that the other person is perfect or avoiding hard conversations. It means loving people enough to plunge courageously into the hard conversations and then asking for forgiveness when we get it wrong, as I often do. And in this strange season, it might be the best opportunity we've ever had to cultivate the virtue of a humble and forgiving spirit. The first spiritual practice of community is forgiveness. The second spiritual practice of community is acceptance. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now forgiveness is needed because often we're just wrong. Acceptance is needed because often we're just weird. Forced closeness actually goes way back before COVID-19. It started when Jesus put a bunch of people together that normally couldn't stand each other, and then he told them to be a family. The church in Rome, for example, had Jewish people who'd been raised to think of Gentiles as pagan, idolatrous, uncircumcised, wicked, immoral dogs. And the Gentiles were raised to think that Jewish people were strange, hyper-religious, separatist, unpatriotic legalists. Imagine bridging that divide. Now, you may have noticed that you don't have much trouble accepting your own weirdness, but then, if you get married, you'll quickly discover that your spouse had these annoying habits that they carefully hid while you were dating. But if you join a church, you'll learn everybody's weird. There's this great, odd Old Testament story where King David is captured by the Philistines, and so he pretends to be crazy before the king as a self-defense. And then King Achish of the Philistines says to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why did you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Nobody lacks madmen. But the great problem of the human race is that people simply cannot get along across religious and ethnic and gender and cultural differences. And then oftentimes it's the people with the power and the privilege who are running the show. But Jesus has called us all into a different kind of community. A community where everyone is accepted. Where people who otherwise would be enemies instead embrace as friends. A community that is saying, Jesus has accepted me just the way I am, so how could I ever reject anyone? I've enrolled in the school of Jesus' radical acceptance. Where people on the outside notice and say, man, this God must really be something. I'd like to get in on this. When we're living into that kind of a community, then we are truly accepting one another as Christ accepted us. And that brings praise to God, and in the end, we'll transform the world. In this strange season, let's grow towards the Jesus way of community. So this week, practice using words to communicate acceptance. Notice people. Care about them. Welcome them. Learn from them. Thank God for them. See what God sees in them. Celebrate them. Every person was made in the image of God. When you see that image of God in them and you name it, you breathe life into them. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to a close friend of mine on the phone, and he's been going through a really tough time, and I was asking him how he was doing. And then he caught me up on his situation, and he asked me, how are you doing? I know you've been facing some challenges too. How are you? And so I told him everything. 
about being overwhelmed by parenting in shelter in place and about hurting my back and how hard things are at church right now. And then I told him at the same time, I've been feeling a deep sense of joy and gratitude at just being alive, that somehow Jesus was at work in all of this. And he said to me, you're a strong man. God has made you strong. And I was surprised that he said that. I wanted very much for it to be true, but often I'm not sure at all that it is. But he was naming it in me. He was calling this strength out of me. He was blessing me just by saying it. And I was really moved. I was quiet for a long time. And my friend must have been confused because after a few moments of silence, on the other end of the line, he said, I mean, not physically strong. I mean, spiritually strong in the mind. God is strengthening you. And I thought, if my friend can see this spiritual strength in me, then maybe I can see it in myself. You see, every human being carries the image of God, was made by God, is loved by God, was died for by Jesus. And so they deserve to be welcomed and embraced and loved by all of us. God loves every person that you meet. And he can teach you to love them too. Now, if you will begin to practice this kind of community, if you will live deeply in a spirit of forgiveness, if you will extend deeply a spirit of acceptance, your relationships will grow deeper, your character will grow humbler, your heart will grow lighter, your conscience will be clearer, your workplace will be healthier, your friendships will be stronger, people will be happier while you're alive and sadder when you die. And unforced closeness will be the reality for all of us. And people will see it and say, praise Jesus. So get to it. Accept and forgive. And we'll see you next week.